Well, there's a sign on Route 94 uh, coming into town by Crystal Springs. It's a familiar billboard. We see it all the time every year. And it simply says, New Year, New You. And of course, there's a person, a picture of a person at the gym just sweating it out. And the idea is that people want to make fresh starts in the new year. And if you are a gym goer, you know exactly what happens in January every single year. Suddenly you walk into your gym and you wonder, who are you people? Why are you here? And they're gone about three weeks later and everything returns to normal. But the idea is still the same. New Year starts. People resolve to do things. On the podcast this week, I, I talked about how to be more productive. Many people make New Year's resolutions simply to get more organized, to get more stuff done, to lose those pounds you've been trying to lose, whatever the case may be. Maybe some people make a resolution to completely reinvent themselves. Maybe they're tired of who they were in 2023 and they want to be somebody different in 2024. What about us, church? Do we need to reinvent ourselves? Or do we have a mission and a vision that never changes? What about Highlands? Who are we? I'm glad you asked. We are going to talk about that today from Matthew, as we heard, in the first and second Great Commandments in Matthew 22. If you are visiting with us, thank you. We usually go through books of the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. I know I said on the update this week that we were starting Romans again. My apologies. A uh, little curveball here. We are going to do this one off, and we will return to Romans next week to jump back in. Last week, we finished up our Advent series together. We celebrated the birth of Christ and why Christ came. And we said that Christ's coming provides salvation for his people, us, his people. And what does that mean for us, though? What should we be doing? Again, who are we? Great. Christ came to provide salvation for us. What does that mean for us? Who are we? What should we be doing and let's take a look at the words of Jesus himself in the Gospel of Matthew. Look again at Matthew 22, starting in verse 34. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, dun, 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 asked a question to test him. Teacher, what is the great or the greatest commandment in the law? And so some context here. Jesus is being trolled by the religious leaders they keep trying to pin him down, to trap him, to trick him, hopefully then expose him as a fraud, which is a really bad plan because he's not a fraud and it's impossible to expose him as a fraud. So in this case, they come to him, they send in a lawyer, and when you think of a lawyer, don't think about Chella and Rodriguez, attorneys at law, or better call Saul. Think about, as CSB puts it, an expert in the law. What kind of law? Well, God's law. So it's a lawyer, someone who is an expert in God's law. And this expert in God's law asks Jesus a question. And he says, Jesus, teacher, Mr. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in God's law? And when we think about God's law as new covenant Christians in 2023, we have to think about it correctly, as Paul was praying, right? We have to think about it in light of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus completely transformed and fulfilled the law in so many ways. We can't look at the law like it was in the Old Covenant because of Jesus. And I find it helpful to divide the law into three categories, as the Reformers did in places like the Westminster Confession of Faith, the civil laws, the ceremonial laws, and the moral laws. The civil laws were those that you might think. They governed the civil affairs of ethnic geographic Israel, life in Israel. 
They, they govern things like theft and murder and property ownership. And where there's general equity today, we see that those are, those are uh, applied as well here today. Second, the ceremonial laws, they governed the worship of Israel, the animal sacrifices, the priests, the temple, the feasts, the food laws. All of those are gone and have been completely fulfilled in Jesus Christ, and they no longer apply to us in the same way as New, Testament, New Covenant Christians. Hebrews is extremely clear on this. Those laws were the shadow, and then Jesus is the fulfillment of them, Christ being the substance of them. There's a new high priest, and so therefore there is a new set of laws. Christ fulfilled those ceremonial laws perfectly with his sacrifice. But third, the third helpful category is the moral law. The moral law does apply to new covenant Christians today because Jesus himself said it did. We see it in the Sermon on the Mount. You can't read the Sermon on the Mount without realizing that Jesus not only emphasized the moral law, but also ratcheted up the requirements, right? The moral law used to be, do not commit adultery. Cool, check the box. Haven't done that today. Jesus says, well, it's much more than that. Not only is it do not commit adultery, but do not look at anyone lustfully in your heart, because therefore you have committed adultery in your heart. The law says, do not murder. Cool, haven't murdered anybody today. I thought about it a few times, but I have not done it. Jesus says, if you have become angry with someone in your heart, if you've called them an idiot in your mind in anger, you have murdered them in your heart. So Jesus not only reaffirms the moral law, he ratchets it up and says, it is in our hearts that we must obey this. But at this point in time, in the context of this dialogue in Matthew, the full, the full law of God was still in effect simply because Jesus hadn't done the work yet. The resurrection, the ascension, the, after the cross, of course. So this lawyer shoots his shot and asks, okay, Jesus, which one of the laws is God's favorite law, in other words? Which is kind of ridiculous to say because the law reflects God's character, these aren't just arbitrary rules. They all hearken back to God's character. So why would God have a favorite law? Why would God have one law that's more important than the other? Not to mention, by then, they added hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of other laws in the Mishnah that they themselves came up with. So he's really doing his best to try and trip him up. And so with that background, he asked him, Teacher, which law is most important? What's the answer? This question only serves to point out that they have no idea what they're talking about. They have no idea. They're so far off base as religious leaders. They've drifted so far from what God has called them to, they can't see the forest for the trees because they put an impossible burden of obedience on the people. And so for them, it's just all about checking the boxes, keeping the laws. They see everything of pleasing God as a list of laws. Just obey and Jesus wasn't there and certainly didn't come to just make us obey. That's not the gospel. The gospel isn't checking boxes. Christianity isn't checking boxes. That's called legalism. Legalism is the idea that we have a set of laws, and if we just do all of those laws, then God will be happy with us. The only problem with that is the Bible, because the Bible doesn't say that, especially Jesus doesn't say that. That is the legalism. And so the first thing about to say, or first thing to say about who we are is this: we are not legalists. We are not legalists. 
A legalist version of Highlands would instead be a bulletin we give you with a list of rules that you need to follow as soon as you walk in here to be accepted around here. Or worse yet, an unwritten list of rules that you need to follow in order to be accepted around here. You need to wear the right clothes, say the right words, have the right friends, do the right things. In some circles, legalism can be a smoke grenade that one pulls the pin on and throws into a situation where people are getting a little too close to their lives, where someone might come up to them and say, hey, can we talk? Because I saw this thing that you did the other day, and the Bible calls us to this, and I'm not sure, was that sin? Was that not sin? Pull the pin on the smoke grenade, throw it. No, that's legalism. You're a legalist. Don't hold me to a code of behavior like that. But in church, we're called to help each other to grow in our journey of sanctification. So speaking into each other's lives is not legalism. But what is legalism? Legalism, again, is seeking to obey God without loving God. We just seek to obey God without loving God. Thinking the Christian life, again, is about checking those boxes. And if my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, when I get to the man upstairs, maybe someday he'll just let me in. Sorry to break it to you, but there's no scale at the pearly gates where St. Peter may or may not be, right? There's no scale there. It's not about good deeds and bad deeds as far as our salvation. This is the exact reason why Israel, particularly the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, and soon the rabbis, were judged by God. Their version of being a God, follow, God follower was this empty box checking, just do what we tell you to do. They think that they're in good graces with God because of their hundreds of rules, but yet their hearts are far from them. And church, God wants our hearts, not just our empty obedience. If you don't have a heart that loves God, it is useless to try to obey God. Jesus rails against this earlier in Matthew, in chapter 15, starting in verse 1, he says this, Then the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Oh, no. He answered them, Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Mic drop. For God commanded, Honor your father and mother. Whoa, Jesus reemphasizing the moral law there. Don't miss that. And whoever reviles mother or father must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Jesus rails against them, calls them hypocrites for the exact same reason that says, you try to obey me, but your hearts are far from me. And the rules that you are teaching, you are elevating to the word of God status, and that is not the way it goes. When Jesus really wants to get the Pharisees, he always quotes the Old Testament. So he's quoting Isaiah here. Think about quoting Isaiah to PhDs in the Old Testament. It's like, did you guys forget that verse in Isaiah? It's a little slam. And we see that again right here in our passage. Some of us today may have come from legalistic backgrounds and are very familiar with this. Obey the rules and God is happy. 
Go to church and God is happy. Wear a suit. God is happy. Do the things you have to do. God is happy. Or your parents are happy or others are happy. But that's not what biblical Christianity is about. That's not what we're about. Some of us who have come from these backgrounds may still be trying to earn their way into God's favor by trying to check the box and offer something to God, but yet our hearts are far from him. Some of us today may have come from a legalistic background and are already with that smoke grenade. Anytime anybody gets close to you and asks you a question, you pull the pin, blow the smoke, and say, you're a legalist. This is not about following the rules. It's all about grace, man. Leave me alone. Some of us may have a false understanding that legalism is what Christianity is about, just plain and simple. A friend gave me a little book for Christmas that says there are two types of religions in the world. There's a do religion and a done religion. Legalism, and thus every other religion on the planet, we have to realize this, talk about who we are, legalism, and therefore every other religion on the planet Roman Catholicism, uh, Islam, Judaism, those are all do religions. In other words, do these things, and the God who you are seeking to worship, maybe, just maybe, will be happy with you. Christianity, biblically, biblical Christianity, is a done religion. Because Jesus Christ has done the work for you. And so for as, as far as salvation, you trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. He is happy with you through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what we have to remember. That's how we have favor with God, through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, that being said, there's plenty of work to do after that. But we don't work towards our identity in Christ. We work from our identity in Christ, just like Ephesians 2 says. We are saved not by works, but we are saved for good works, which are prepared in advance for us to do. Biblical Christianity is the only done religion on the planet Earth. That's what makes us completely different. Christianity is not legalism. So what is it about? Or, or what does that make us? Who are we? We'll look at the rest of our passage in 37 of Matthew 22. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. This is one of the greatest comebacks in all of the Bible. I mean, Jesus has had a lot of good comebacks. This is one of the greatest comebacks. For the exact same reason as Matthew 15. He answers them with the greatest, most well-known Old Testament prayer that the Jews say twice a day, even today. It's the Shema, and it's what we read in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And if we look at that in context one more time, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, this is how he answers them. Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting at verse 4. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Jesus says, he answers him, what's the greatest commandment? Which one of the hundreds and hundreds of laws is God's favorite? Well, how about the one that we say twice a day? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, 
with all your mind and all your strength, which we'll talk about. If we look at each one of these briefly, right? Loving the Lord our God with all our heart means not merely our emotions, but also our whole personality, our identity, as well as our emotions. We need to engage our emotions as well. If, if we look at soul, it's our whole being. We are to love God with our whole being, our whole essence. We're also to love God with our whole mind. ESV translates that as all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. The word isn't the common word for all. It's the word for whole. And I think that gives it a little bit different spin. We're to love the Lord our God with our whole hearts, with our whole uh, soul, and with our whole mind. That mind part, that mind part gets a little lost, doesn't it, in evangelical Christianity? The average non-Christian or raging atheist would certainly assume that us Christians are narrow-minded, socially maladjusted idiots, believing in some sort of sky fairy who we need to keep happy or else he will zap us. And I hope you realize that is the farthest thing from biblical Christianity whatsoever. Christianity is a robust, deep, and intellectual faith. It is simple in its core message of the gospel, but the resulting implications of our faith and the biblical worldview, that it's the only worldview that makes logical sense. It's the most logical worldview there is, especially when we compare it to the current clown world that we have. Sometimes as Christians, we can be rightly accused of over-emotionalism. This is where the mind-emotion balance comes in, right? We follow Jesus because of the warm fuzzies. He makes us feel better about ourselves. We sing the Jesus is my boyfriend songs and a tear drips down our face and we speak in soft, weak tones about our feelings. Christianity is actually intellectual. We engage our minds in it. 1 Corinthians 14 says this. What am I to do, Paul says? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. We engage our brains in these things. That's why we're very, very particular about the songs that we sing here. We stay away from the Jesus is my boyfriend songs. Christianity is not only intellectual, It's not weak emotionalism, it's strong. It requires strength to follow Jesus. I'm not sure if you guys know that or not. It requires a degree of strength to follow Jesus. That's why in Luke's version, in Luke chapter 10, he adds in strength. Luke 10, 25, starting says this, Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what's written in the law? How do you read it? I love that. And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. In this episode, he lets the lawyer answer the question, and he answers it correctly because Jesus let him. He's like, well, what's the most important? What's the the greatest commandment? You, You know this from Deuteronomy 6. Note that Jesus goes beyond what they ask for. Not only does he give them the most important commandment from their own Torah, He adds the second greatest commandment. So look at that again with me. Look in Matthew 22, in verse 39. He says this, And a second is like it. I'll give you the most important one, but I'll also give you the second most important one too. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
And on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So he says, all of the law and the prophets. In other words, all of the Old Testament hangs on these two commands. If you were to look at the moral law, right, we have the, the two tables, right, the, the two sides, right? The first side is all about loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if we do that right, if we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength right, guess what? Then we're going to do the second part of the commandments well as well. We will love each other as much as we love ourselves. So it's a summary of the Ten Commandments in that respect. Loving God vertically has to translate horizontally in loving others as much as we love ourselves. And boy, howdy, are we good at loving ourselves. We don't have to have any lessons in loving ourselves, right? We've, we've come so far. I've had this discussion with a couple people at like Christmas time. It's like, did you get anything good for Christmas as adults? And they kind of all roll their eyes. It's just like, I don't know. <laughs> whatever I want, I just buy myself. <laughs> I don't really want, you know, I didn't really want anything. Makes it hard to buy presents for each other, doesn't it? But we're real, real good at loving ourselves. We don't have to be taught how to love ourselves. We're taught in our brains and our souls to worry about ourselves first. Jesus says that if you love God with everything you do, then it will translate horizontally into how you love other people. Who didn't do that? The legalistic Pharisees and the scribes and the rabbis. That's what they were focused on themselves. They were focused on their laws and, and their, uh, their perception, their status. And so who, who are we? Here's the big idea. I'll give it to you early and we'll unpack it a little bit. But the big idea is this. We are not legalists. We are lovers of God and others. We are not legalists, but we are lovers of God and others. A Christian's life, who we are at Highlands, should be characterized by <clears throat> love. We love God with everything that we have, and we love others as much as we love ourselves, which is an awful lot. Jesus said many things about love, but perhaps no more famous than John 13, which you might be thinking of. When we talk about who are we, and Jesus answered that question for us in John 13, Starting in verse 34, he says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know who you are. You will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It goes back to why do we love? John says elsewhere in his epistle, in 1 John 4, 19, simply we love because he first loved us. So it's one big circle here. We love others because God loved us. We love God with everything that we have, and therefore it shows us how to love others. We could complete this statement by saying something like this, because God loves us, we love him and others. We're not legalists. We are lovers of God and others. And another way of saying it is that God's favorite law then is love, both for him and for others. But an important caveat has to be made here because anytime we start dropping this Christianity is all about love, we play right into the worldly vision of what people understand Christianity to be without actually reading the Bible. Yeah, you ask the average person on the street and they might say, well, it's just about love. Jesus just told us to love. And so as long as you're doing that, you're a good Christian. Well, that's not compatible with the rest of the Bible because there is the thing called sin. And so, yes, 
There is a thing called sin, and yes, that violates God's law, and so therefore, God does tell us how to live. There's this weird thing over America right now. I don't know if you've noticed it, but if you tell someone else how to live, or if you take an issue with how they're living, or tell them that they're wrong, suddenly that means that you don't love them. That's insanity, because we have to do that. Parents, you do that. You tell your children what to do. You have to tell. That's the loving thing to do. It's not loving. I had that conversation a lot with my kids. It's not loving for me to let you do whatever you want to do. It's my job. Same thing with God. And so when we drop this whole love business, we have to remember that that doesn't mean that we can live however we want to live. God calls us to stay away from sin. It's not that Jesus doesn't care how you live. As long as he cares, you love. That is a steaming pile of unbiblical nonsense, just to be clear. That's someone who hasn't read the words of Jesus. You can't read the Sermon on the Mount and walk away with a Jesus who just wants you to love everyone and doesn't care about how you live. Jesus does care about how we live. Sin is the big problem, and faith in Jesus is the only solution to it. And so if Jesus then cares how we live... How do we live? Meaning, how do we live as Highlands Bible Church? That brings us to the mission and vision of Highlands Bible Church. And I just wanted to press pause on Romans for a moment as we start our our new year and refocus on our vision and our mission. Our vision is printed in the bulletins every week. Our vision is straight out of what we've been talking about today from Matthew 22. Our ministry vision is simply this, to love God with all that we are, and love others as much as we love ourselves. Or to put it more simply, love God and love others. This is our vision. We didn't make that up. We got that from Matthew 22. And Jesus said it is the most important commandment. That never changes. No matter what the new year might be like, the church will never be new in this sense. This is always our vision because we remain focused on the words of Jesus to love God and love others. We are not legalists. We were lovers of God and others. How do we do that practically? I'm glad you asked that too. That, mission brings, uh, that vision brings us to our mission. And we say this all the time, which is also in your bulletin. It's on our sign when you drive in. This is how we go about loving God and loving others. The mission of Highlands is to, say it with me, glorify God by making and maturing disciples of Jesus Christ. That is our mission. That's how we live out loving God and loving others. Every ministry activity lines up behind one of those two aspects. Everything we do in 2024 and beyond is devoted to glorifying God and making and maturing disciples of Jesus Christ. What is the best way to love God and love others? Quite simply, Walk out the gospel. It revolves around Jesus Christ, who he is, what he did, and why it matters. We can't make and mature disciples all by ourselves. We can't make and mature disciples legalistically. When we go to somebody and share the gospel with them, the gospel is never just stop sinning and clean yourself up so that God will be happy with you. That's why it makes it's no sense. We see those crazy people on the news protesting with their signs that say terrible things on them. The gospel's not stop sinning. The gospel is Jesus has defeated your sin. That's what the gospel is. Believe in him and then live like it. 
Yes, I know technically it's God, the Holy Spirit, who alone can create new life, who makes a new disciple. It is God, the Holy Spirit, who works in our hearts to mature us into holiness. But Highlands, we are the means that God uses to do that. Each other. That's why it's impossible to be a faithful Christian without a connection to a local church. You have no way to walk out the one another's of Scripture. If you're not in a local church, which all of you are, so a great way to start the new year, then you can walk out the one another's. Then you can actually do this. You can make and mature disciples. Galatians 6.2 tells us simply that we're to bear one another's burdens, and watch this, so fulfill the law of Christ. See how Paul inter, intercedes, with, uh, in, puts those two things together? The law, fulfilling the law is bearing one another's burdens. It's, in other words, loving each other as much as you love yourself. To refine even further then, this means that there are distinctives. In other words, what makes us, us? What makes Highlands, Highlands? If you've taken our Next Steps class recently, you're going to remember this. But if you haven't taken your Next Steps class recently, if you've been a member for a lot of years, here's your refresher. Things that are unique to us. And I'm going to use the illustration of a funnel. And it's helpful for those of you who have not maybe lived under a rock and are not sure what a funnel might look like. I have gone through extensive art training to show you what a funnel is. I had Jeff Good look at this before the service so that he wasn't, uh, wasn't going to be able to do that. What? We're saying no? There's no funnel? Oh, there it is. Oh, okay, good. At the top of a funnel, right? It's its, it's, its widest point. So when we talk about who Highlands is, first thing is we're Christian, meaning we are based on the person and the work of Jesus Christ, okay? Any church is probably going to be a Christian church, right? That's the widest point of the funnel. Yeah, I know some of you are going like this, right? But we're, we're, we're studying the words of the gospel of Matthew this morning and telling us that at the highest level, right, it's about Jesus Christ. Being a Christian church is not anything earth-shattering. This includes Roman Catholic churches, Orthodox churches, all of the major denominations who believe all of the Orthodox beliefs about Christ. There's another narrowing of the funnel that makes us Protestant. Our second distinctive is that we're Protestant. Now, this would include a large number of churches, but as we get a little more narrow, some are excluded, namely Roman Catholicism namely the Orthodox churches. But every other denomination, Lutheran, Methodist, Episcopal, Reformed, all the crazy, insane, non-denominational churches, even the unbiblical seeker megachurches with their rock shows and movie sermons, right? The, the Pentecostals, all the fringe cults, all of that, they kind of all go into this Protestant bucket right here. But what's missing sometimes in that is the name itself. The name Protestant came from the Protestant Reformation. So Highlands is going to base itself on the historic, original, orthodox affirmations of the Protestant Reformation, right? The five solas, the five onlys, right? That scripture alone is the highest authority in the church and that we're saved by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone, through the glory of God alone. So a lot of Protestant churches have drifted from the Protestant Reformation, we can't be one of them. We're Protestant, and that means something to us. 
But one in particular stands out the most and guides and informs all the others, and that's what leads us to the narrowest part of our funnel. And that last part is that we're biblical. Our third distinctive is that Highlands is biblical. It's not just a name, guys. We're not just Highlands Bible Church because we like the way that it sounds. We're a Bible church for a reason, because we believe that the Bible, the Word of God, is the highest authority in the church, and then this has everything to do with who we are. I was talking to some new members, prospective new members yesterday, and they said, when we widened the search for a church, and then we put in the name Bible in our, in our search, Highlands popped up. I hear that a lot. Like, people put in the name of the word Bible into a search, and then we show up. Like, that is a distinctive for us, and it should be. The Bible is the highest authority in the church, and that has an effect over every single thing we do and who we are. We're led by male pastors and elders because that's what we see in Scripture. We have deacons because we see that in Scripture. We hold fast to first-order doctrines of the faith that the church has held for thousands of years, like the Trinity, the deity of Christ, the atoning sacrifice of Christ on the cross, the resurrection, justification by faith. Why? Because they're all in the Bible. We believe that marriage is between one man and one woman, and that all forms of sexual immorality are sin. Why? Because that's in the Bible. Because the Bible, including Jesus himself, said so. We worship the way we do, sing the songs we do, because they have biblical words. This is who we are, church. And so our point this morning, <clears throat> we are not legalists, we are lovers of God and others comes down to our distinctives. We seek to glorify God by making and maturing disciples of Jesus Christ, and we seek to do that by being Christian, by being Protestant, and most of all, by being biblical. And that's who we are as we head into 2024. <clears throat> and the sweet thing is that this is who we always have been. And we enter our eighth year of existence by God's grace. Church, this still needs to be who we are. We're on the cusp of some very exciting things, church. God continues to bless us. He continues to draw us to himself. He continues to change lives through the gospel. And everyone here is a critical part of that. And I got to tell you, I am so grateful and thankful that every single day for his overwhelming grace and kindness he has shown to Highlands, but also to me that I get to be here and do this. With that blessing, though, comes responsibility. Our marching orders are clear, church. We don't have to reinvent ourselves. I don't have to stand up here on December 31st and say, here's our theme for this new year. It's renewal, whatever. I don't have to come up with that. It's here for us. We're, we're biblical. This is the authority in the church. And the authority in the church says we're not legalists. We are to love God with everything we have, and we are to love each other as much as we love ourselves. And then that's how we, we play it out. We, we practice it out in our vision and in our mission. Let's pray that we can pull all of this together in faithfulness and diligence with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let's pray. Father, <clears throat> we do thank you as we, as we are on the cusp of another new year by your grace. It's always a, a sense of a fresh start anyway when we, when we start a new year. And Lord, we are so glad that we don't have to earn our way to you through our obedience, that what you have given us through Jesus Christ, he is the one through it is all done. 
and that we believe and we are justified and you, have, you, you, are, you love us through faith in Christ. You accept us through faith in Christ. <clears throat> and so, Father, please give us the strength to do what you've called us to do. Thank you so much for the blessings that you have given us in your church. And would you continue to be glorified here in 2024 and beyond? We ask it in his name. Amen.